It is great seeing all of our students worshiping with us this morning. And I know that you students, you've come up on the end of the semester or you're right there just about to finish another great school year. On Friday night, we, had a, we just had a blast with the, the school here and our Academy Award and getting to see all the families and students walk the red carpet and just celebrate. It was a great time. And to hear the testimony of our sixth grade graduates and to hear their story in their own words just about what God has done in and through their life and, uh, and how Central Christian Academy used that. I mean, it was, it was inspiring testimony. Anybody would be proud to have their sixth grader, seventh grader, 12th grader, college graduate, anybody have those kind of testimonies. So it was just a great night. And, you know, whether you're involved at Central Christian Academy or whatever school, you know, we're just uh, thankful for all of our students and for the hard work that you've put in this year. It got me thinking a little bit about when I was in school, and I, I thought of one semester in particular, just when I was at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I was at that point of the semester where just like the homework, there was just a mountain of homework to get done, you know, it's just the home stretch, and there's so much to do, and so this particular Friday night, um, my friend Arturo Hernandez and I, we we headed over to the SMU library, Southern Methodist University, because their library stayed up, uh, stayed open a lot later than the DTS library. So we head over, head over to SMU just to hole up and just do as much uh, work as we can. And as we arrive, we get there and we see that there's a bus in the parking lot and all these students you know, are loading onto the bus, getting onto the bus. And Arturo and I were a little just curious what was going on, and so I say to him, I say, hey, Arturo, what do you, what do you say? Let's uh, just kind of go over there and just kind of see what's going on, see where they're headed. And so he said, okay, yeah, sounds good. And so we, we walk over, and, you know, they're all kind of in line getting on the bus, and so we just hopped in line. And we're in line. Everyone's just getting on the bus. Nobody's checking tickets or anything like this. And so we just load up onto the bus. We get on the bus. We find our seat. Shortly thereafter, the bus starts moving. We have no idea where we're going, how long we'll be gone, who we're going with. We, We don't know any of these things. We just know that we're on a bus that's leaving SMU. Our car is in the parking lot, and we don't know where we're headed. We end up just driving across through Dallas at this country rock music concert. And it was awful. I mean, you know, we didn't know any of the songs. It was just loud, and it made us, I mean, it's a Friday night, and we were yearning to get back to the library into that cubicle just to get homework done. So we end up calling a friend of ours from the seminary to come and pick us up. Um, But does life ever feel that way to you? that you're just on a bus ride and you got no idea where it's headed. That you, you don't know what the next step in life is going to be, what God has in store for you. Maybe it's an exciting adventure, you know, and hey, I don't know where God's taking us, but I'm just trusting that it's going to be good. Or maybe life's been hard and there's been some twists and turns along the way. You feel like you've hit some potholes that you didn't see coming. And it's, it's been tough, and you're just asking, God, what are, you, what are you trying to teach me through all this? Maybe you feel like you're just stuck, like the bus isn't moving. Like I've got all these dreams, and I've got this vision of what like, God has put on my heart, and, and I want to accomplish this, and I feel like God wants to do this in and through me, but and I'm just, I'm just kind of stuck. I'm just, I just don't feel like I'm moving. 
As you look back over the course of your life, has it turned out just the way you thought it would? Are you doing just what you dreamt you'd be doing, just where you thought you'd be doing it? Or there have been some surprises, some twists and turns along the way. I'm sure we, could, we would all say that there have been. But have you seen God's divine hand of providence just working in your life in ways that you never could have imagined? This morning, you know, we followed Paul enough by now just to kind of see that in his life. We've traversed the landscape of the book of Acts, and we've, we've been with Paul through shipwrecks and in courtrooms and through just various cities. We've watched him plant churches, share the gospel. We've watched him be beaten and flogged and, and threatened and arrested. But I imagine if you could go back and you could just grab Paul's ear for a moment, maybe back in Acts chapter 8 where you have that first mention of Paul, and if you were able to pull Paul aside and just say, hey, Paul, I want to tell you something. You're going to meet God on this road to Damascus. And he's going to transform your life. Okay, I know that you're so cozy with the Jews now and you love them, but they're going to turn on you, you know. They're going to want you dead because you are going to get baptized and you're going to become the apostle to the Gentiles. You're going to be a part of the way. This is what's happening, Paul, and then the Jews, they're going to want to get you. I imagine that if you would have told Paul that back in Acts chapter 8 where we first met him, that he would have picked up a stone to stone you, you know? I mean, he would have been pretty upset by this news because he had no idea where, where the bus he was on, where it was headed. And so this morning, as we kind of make our way to Acts chapter 28, the final chapter in the book of Acts, and we'll see just one more time how God continues to do the unexpected in Paul's life. I mean, Paul's known for a while now that he'd end up in Rome. Okay, God had told, told him that a, a little while ago, but I doubt Paul ever would have believed the road that it would take to get him there. You know, just the long years, just being in house arrest and how he appeared before the Jewish Sanhedrin and then he appeared before the Caesarean courtroom and he had to make his appeal to Caesar to go to Rome because he was afraid that the, that the Jews would try to influence the governor there, Festus. And so he makes his appeal to Caesar. And then he gets on the ship and the, and the ship is shipwrecked and he ends up on the island of Malta and the people there at first, they... they think uh, he's crazy, they want him dead, and then they change their mind and they assume he's a god. And all this stuff is happening before he finally gets to Rome. Yeah, I don't think he would have even imagined what it would take to get him there. All the uncertainties of life and everything going on. Did they ever get you discouraged? Did you ever start wondering, what, what is God up to anyway? If you ever feel unstuck, or if you ever feel stuck in just your future seems unsure, then I'm so glad you're here this morning because I believe that Acts chapter 28 speaks right to that. So go ahead, if you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. We'll read verses 16 through 31. Acts 28, 16 through 31, and we'll conclude our series on the unstoppable church and really how God has used the church to be this transformational church throughout the throughout the region of Judea, then throughout the whole Mediterranean, and now the whole earth. So I pray that this morning, as we kind of read and study this, and even kind of review all of Acts, that God's word will just challenge you 
where you feel in control, that it will encourage you, where you feel a little uncertain or discouraged, and it will strengthen you to be the everyday missionary that God has created you to be. So let's jump into it. Acts 28, verses 16 through 31. Luke writes, When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing these chains. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and I turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, and without hindrance. So, it's been about three years since Paul first heard from God that he would end up in Rome. And he's finally there. You know, and having followed Paul as long as we have during the course of this year, just kind of going through Acts, you know that Paul is a mover and a shaker, right? I mean, that he's got a burr under his saddle, that wherever he goes, he's on the move. He's wanted to talk to people. He's going to the synagogues and to the marketplace. He's talking with people. I mean, even in Athens, right, when he's told just, hey, just take it easy for a few days until the rest of us can catch up with you, Paul doesn't take it easy. He doesn't go on a sightseeing trip. He's not on a vacation. He goes and just starts talking with people in the marketplace. He's sharing Jesus. This is just what he does. Everywhere he goes, he's moving, he's shaking, he's working, he's in the synagogues, in the marketplace. He's on the move. However, when Paul ends up in Rome, it's a little different because he enters this city in chains. He's under house arrest. He's stuck. 
He can't go. He can't just go into Rome, the city that he's been longing to get to for so long, the center of the world at that time. All these people who he can impact and influence, and he's stuck under house arrest. He's limited to the confines of this small house. He can't go anywhere. I mean, there's a Roman soldier there to guard him, possibly even chained to him. And don't you know that that Roman soldier probably got an earful of the gospel, right? I mean, just this is Paul's audience. But after three days of being in Rome, and perhaps a little stir-crazy, Paul invites the Jewish leaders to come over. Now, this is Paul's pattern, remember, that in every city he goes to, if there's a, city, a synagogue in the city, he goes first to the synagogue and explains the gospel to the Jews, and then he goes to the marketplace and, ex- and explains the gospel to the Gentiles. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. The synagogue, then the marketplace. This has been his pattern of ministry. Only in Rome, Paul can't get to the synagogue So the synagogue comes to Paul. Do you see that? All the Jewish leaders, they come in to see Paul. And so Paul, he does what he does. He shares the gospel. But before he does that, he has this important conversation, a difficult conversation, a hard conversation, but a conversation that must be had. I mean, I imagine that this was probably not the way that Paul most wanted to introduce himself when he got there. Did you see what he had to say? You know, it's important, but it's probably not the way you want to introduce yourself. The Jewish leaders, they come over and probably just seeing Paul, you know, they tell Paul, hey, we hadn't even heard about you. But they see him. By this time, Paul's not the most impressive figure to look at. You know, he's been through a lot. I mean, you think of everything that he's been through. He's been through a lot. Remember, he's just been shipwrecked for a time, and they hadn't eaten much on that ship, so when he arrives and he's there, he's probably extremely thin. He's been through beatings and floggings. He's been left for dead. His back probably doesn't just straighten up like it once did. He's he's probably a little hunched over. Maybe he walks a little awkward. His hair by this time has grayed. His eyesight is poor. He's probably not the most impressive figure and the most commanding presence in the room. And so he greets them wearing chains under house arrest. The first impression may not have been the best. And then he has the conversation that he has to have, a difficult conversation. He addresses the Jewish leaders first as brothers. Okay, he's his brothers. See, he's identifying with the Jewish community. He's letting them know, hey, I'm a Jew too. And he longs for the Jews to receive the gospel. I mean, this is part of Paul's heartbeat. Yeah, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, but make no mistake, Paul would say in Romans, if I could just trade with them, I would gladly exchange places so that the Jews would be saved and I'd go to hell for them. So he identifies with this community. He says, brothers, And then he says, I have done nothing against the Jews. I love the Jews. And more than that, I've done nothing against our customs. I've done nothing wrong. Nothing against the law. Nothing against our customs, our traditions. Now, some Jews might take exception with that. You just go and you read Galatians and you read 1 Corinthians and you can see some of the objections that the Jews had to Paul with, in regard to his, uh, his, his adherence to the law. 
But nevertheless, Paul, he's saying, hey, I've got nothing against the law. I've done nothing against the law. I love our customs. I love our traditions. I love the law. I haven't debased it in any way. See, the common thinking is when you talk about what's the problem of the Pharisees, what's the problem of the Jews in the New Testament? And we have this idea, well, the problem is that they just love the law too much. That that was their issue. They got so caught up in the law, they loved the law too much. But you go back and you read Jesus in the Gospels, and you read Paul, and you find out the problem is not that they loved the law too much. The problem is they didn't love the law enough. See, they add to the law. They, they turn their law into to their, old, their own thing, like, oh, let's just, put, let's just add this to it and add this to it and add this to it. They, they don't love the law enough just to let it stand as holy, as set apart. No, they got to add to it. And then the Pharisees, they got to put all this on other people when they don't even adhere to it themselves. Do you hear Jesus hear what he always says? You hypocrites. You hypocrites. You say you love the law. You don't. Because if you really love the law, you would love the fulfillment of the law. You would love Jesus. Paul says in Romans, the law is good in what it was designed to do. And, to, and, and that is to show humanity her desperate need for Jesus. To show humanity that you can't make it on your own. The law is good. And the law has been fulfilled in Jesus and you've missed it. See, the, the Jews, the, their, their issue is not that they loved the law too much. It's that they didn't love it enough. Because if they did, they wouldn't have added to it. They would have celebrated its fulfillment. They, they, they wouldn't have tried to put rules on other people and not on themselves. See, Paul, Paul goes on and he says, you know, the Romans, they found me innocent. They, they know that I didn't deserve the death penalty, but you see, I had this problem. It was the Jews it was our people. They, they wanted me dead, and so I had to appeal to Caesar. I mean, that's what got me here. That's why I'm here. I had to make this appeal to Caesar because I know they were trying to influence Festus, and Festus would try to curry favor with, with the Jews. And so knowing this, I had to appeal to Caesar. And so he appeals to Caesar. Now, isn't it ironic that those who are protecting Paul are the godless pagan Roman Gentiles and those who want Paul killed are those who say they love God and want justice. This is what's happening. But Paul, he's got no ill will toward the Jews. Make, make no mistake about that. He says, hey, these are my people. These are my brothers. I've got nothing against them. He just wants desperately to see them saved. In fact, he says the reason he is on trial is because of the hope of Israel. It's the hope of Israel. Now, this is a messianic phrase, okay? It speaks of the coming Messiah, only he's now saying the hope of Israel has come. And his name is Jesus. He has come. The fulfillment of the law is here. He's the Messiah. The Messiah has come. You've got to repent. You've got to believe. So Paul, he has this hard conversation where he just explains to these Jewish leaders kind of who he is, what's gone on in his life while 
he's here. Why he's here. And in, in, in doing that, he tells them of the hope of humanity, Jesus Christ. And maybe there's some difficult conversations in your life that you need to have. You got family, you got friends who they need to know Jesus more than they need their next breath. But you know, to have that conversation, to broach that topic might be difficult. But it's still a conversation worth having. It may be difficult, it may be painful, but don't chicken out. Don't dodge the hard question. See, Paul engages right off the bat with the hard stuff. He doesn't push it off, he just goes right to it. We've got to have the hard conversation sometimes. It's important. Paul does. The Jews respond, they say, hey, Paul, actually, we haven't heard anything about you. We haven't received any letters concerning you. No Jews from Jerusalem have showed up here to kind of warn us about you. We, we haven't heard anything like that. But the one thing that we have heard about is this Christian sect that you are alluding to. And we haven't heard very good things about that, actually. But we would like to hear you on this matter. And so they say, hey, let's, let's pick a day, we'll come back. And then you can just talk to us about this. And so that's what they do. Remember, Paul, he's confined to his house. He can't just go out and have these conversations. He's stuck. And we're really so glad that he was. Because during this time, during these two years, is when Paul wrote the prison epistles. Okay? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. So if you ever feel stuck in your life where, hey, I... I, I've got these dreams, I've got these plans, I've got this stuff that I want to accomplish, but right now I just don't feel like life is moving the way I wish it were. I, I never dreamt that I'd be here at this, you know, I always thought I'd be there. This job seems like a dead-end job. You know, I always wanted that one. If you ever feel stuck, I want to encourage you to see the opportunities, not the obstacles. Don't just see the obstacles, see the opportunities. See, God has you in this place right now, wherever you're at, so that you can impact people only you can. I'm blessed to pastor over 300 missionaries. You know that? It's my job. It's my responsibility to help you understand and, and to see the mission field that God has called you to live on. And then to equip you to be that everyday missionary so that you go out into the community and you share Jesus and impact people out of the overflow of what God is doing in your lives. That's, that's my job. That's, that's the thrill and the passion of my life to be able to get to do that. But until and unless you are doing and living the life that God has created you to do, to live, then you've never really experienced what being part of the transformational church, this unstoppable church, is really all about. I want to show you, just, a, just in a small way, the first graders at CCA got a, got a little taste of what this life was all about. It was a, a project that they were challenged to do to really go out and just impact people. And so I want you to hear from them as they just share uh, their stories a little bit, two of our first graders. Let's check it out. My name is Kyla. 
I wanted to tell you about my Patience Give Gives Fruitful Event project. I did a project where I gave flowers to people in my neighborhood and church. I did this project so I could encourage other people and congratulate other people. While I was doing this project, I felt excited but also nervous. When I was finished with the project, I felt very thankful that I got to encourage other people. This project impacted other people by making them happy. They smiled because I gave them their flowers and cards. One lady even gave me a thank you note because I went to her to give her the flowers and cards. This project developed patience in me. It, it took three weeks. Even though it took three weeks, it was worth it because it encouraged other people. It's important to serve others to show God's love. In this project, I was able to show God's love to people who are saved and to people who aren't saved. Thank you for watching my video. I hope it was an encouragement to you too. For my project, I'm doing blessing bags for the homeless. I chose this project because I wanted to share God's love with other people. For my project, I had to make a list like soap, water, toothbrush, toothpaste, and other things. After I made my list, I had to go to the store and buy the stuff and then go back home and put them in the bag and then hand them to the people. While I was doing my project, I felt happy. And in the end, I felt blessed. The hardest part was talking to the people because sometimes I'm shy. My 
favorite part was buying the stuff at the store. If I do this again, I'll buy bigger bags so more stuff can fit in it. It's important to help and love people because God said so in his word. See, isn't that awesome? And we all have these unique opportunities. You know, we all have opportunities that God has put us around people, unique people that only you can reach. There, there are mission fields that I can't reach, that the person sitting next to you can't reach, but that you can reach. And whatever your excuse, I'm too old, too young, too this, too that, God has a plan to use you. And we see it with first graders and just uh, how they're being taught just at a young age to go share Jesus and impact people and how exciting that is. You know, Paul, he's under house arrest. He's confined to his house. And he's a mover and a shake. He wants to get out, but he still sees the opportunity where he is. He invites the Jewish leaders over. They set a date to come back, and the Jewish leaders come back, and they come back with friends. You notice that there's even a greater number of people who come back the next time. And Paul does what he always does. He moves from the truth of his circumstances, right? That's what he talked to them about the last time. Hey, this is why I'm here. This is what's happened. This is what's gone on to the truth of the gospel. This is the, the common practice for Paul. He, he never just shares the gospel out of left field, okay? He always starts and begins with circumstance. He's relatable. And then he transitions that to the gospel. And he doesn't just say it in Christianese, you know, and then I was saved. No, he defines what salvation is and how it happens. And so this is what he's doing here. And, you know, one of the great exciting things for me is just to have a, a small group and to, to be involved, just be in a house and be able to study together the, the scriptures and just challenge each other and say, okay, now how are we going to live this? And you know, that's an encouragement that I need that's very helpful to really know, though, okay, we got other people praying for me and about this and challenging me, and this is a good thing. And so he's kind of got like a little home Bible study going on here, and he's the leader of it. Now, that would be super exciting, you know, to have Paul come in if, if you have a home Bible study and Paul to be the guest speaker for that night. You know, I would, I would want that... Uh, study just to go on forever because that would be super cool just just to listen to Paul as he explained how the law pointed to Jesus how the prophets predicted the Christ and to listen as Paul just opened up the Hebrew text the Old Testament their text their sacred text and he points to these Jews how how this their sacred text predicts Jesus how it explains God and his kingdom purpose and what's happening now, it would be exciting. 
as he goes through just the promises of the Old Testament, and he explains to them, hey, they're fulfilled in Jesus. The law has been fulfilled in Jesus, and this is what he's doing. He's explaining to them from their text. I mean, just imagine what he might have said, just how great our God is, and there is no one like him. I imagine that he would have turned back to the book of Exodus, and he would have walked them through. Perhaps he would have mentioned you know, the, the Passover and how the, the, the angel of death just came through and took out everyone unless you had the blood of the lamb painted on your doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over. And then listening to Paul as he now points and he now shows, and you know, God has now provided the ultimate Passover lamb in his son, Jesus Christ. And if you know him, so too, he passes over our sin. He releases us from sin's penalty of death. Oh, you see, our God is such a great God, and he will not stay angry forever, as Exodus says. Instead, our God delights to show us mercy. How amazing is Jesus Christ, the hope for Israel. Just when we would expect God's wrath for our sin and for everything we've done, instead God shows up and provides his son to take it all away. To listen to, to Paul explain this as, as he perhaps said, hey, just remember how, how God took Pharaoh's our, our chariots and just hurled them into the depths of the sea, so too God takes our sin and heaves them into the waters to be remembered no more. To have Paul explain, hey, you remember your custom of Rosh Hashanah, how you meet by the riverbed on the water's edge, and symbolically you pretend to empty your pockets and then to throw the sin into the water as you pretend to do this. God has now provided his son who has taken our sin and he's thrown it all into the water to be remembered no more. The fulfillment of this has come and it's come through God's son, Jesus Christ. He is the hope of Israel. He is the fulfillment of the law that we love so much. See, to hear Paul go through passage after passage after passage and point them and say, this has been fulfilled through Jesus. I mean, it must have been amazing. Just to, to, to hear him, to say, look, look at this. Look at your scriptures. These are your scriptures. These are your texts, the texts that you love so much. And look, it points to Jesus. Do you, see, do you see it's been predicted? It's been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. Do you see this? And you would expect with the gospel presentation like that and the conversation like that, that all the Jews, they would just say in that room, yes. But that's not what happens. That, that's not what happens. Some do, but others don't. Some are unmoved. They, they hear maybe one of the greatest gospel presentations of all time, but they're unmoved. Some, sadly. It's tragic. But understand, the gospel divides. The gospel divides. And if there is no division in your life because of the gospel, then perhaps we, like the Jews, don't love the gospel enough. Because if we do, we face division. That people will separate. They'll say, no, I cannot accept that. These people, they were unmoved. 
many, and they made an eternal mistake. And so Paul, he quotes another Old Testament passage, a a prophet. He takes them to the prophet Isaiah, and he says to them, what would be the most offensive thing? He says, you're just like your forefathers. Isaiah was right. Your hearts have grown dull. Literally in the Hebrew, your hearts have become fat. That is, they are so thick, they cannot be penetrated. The gospel cannot penetrate your heart. And then he says, your ears can barely hear. Literally in the Hebrew, your ears have become heavy. They are, they are tired. They are weighted down. They can no longer hear. It says your eyes are closed and cannot see. What he's saying is no sensory part of Israel is functioning. It is as if all of her body systems have shut down. The heart doesn't work. The eyes don't work. The ears don't work. She is completely unresponsive. This is your state. Complete unresponsiveness. Completely unmoved. You see, this is the tragedy of not believing in the gospel, of not responding to the scriptures, of not living the Christian life as it's been designed to live. God's word brings life. And when we don't respond to it, it is as if our bodies shut down. You see, the message that we have to share is the message of life and death. And there are people that only you can share that message with. That no one else can. I'm not going to have that opportunity. I don't have that same mission field. The person sitting next to you doesn't have that same mission field. You have a unique mission field that God has placed you on. See, this is what the transformational church is all about. And Paul, he lays out this hope of Israel. And he says, this is the hope of Israel But Israel has become unresponsive. So the hope of Israel has now been given to the Gentiles and they will listen. That doesn't mean that every single Gentile will or every single Jew won't. What it simply means is it affirms that God's kingdom plan, his kingdom program, it has now shifted to the Gentiles because God is now using the Gentiles to stir up jealousy amongst the Jews and there will be a day when prophecy will be fulfilled and then the Gentiles will stir up this jealousy and there will be a mass repentance and revival among the Jews as they come to Christ. But right now, we are living in this period of time where God's kingdom program and plan is primarily advancing amongst the Gentiles. And then you get to the end of the book of Acts. The last couple verses, and Luke tells us that Paul, you know, he's under house arrest in Rome, and for these couple years, he just kept having people over and kept having gospel conversations And we hear that, and then the natural question that we want to ask is, well, what happened next, right? I mean, what happened to Paul? We've been traveling with Paul since Acts chapter 9, and we want to know, Luke, is is there like some third volume that you forgot to write to Theophilus? Because we really want to know, does Paul make it out of house arrest? 
What happens in Rome? Does Paul get to take another missionary journey? Was this it? Did the Jews get him? What happened to Paul? Come on, Luke, you got to tell us. You got to wrap things up for us. You know, the suspense here is killing us. And I could talk this morning about church history and the different speculations of what happened concerning Paul. But I didn't come here this morning to preach Paul to you. I came to preach the book of Acts. And Luke is not making a point of what happened to Paul. That's not how he concludes his gospel. He's making a point of what happened to the gospel. See, Acts, it includes much about Paul, but Luke is reminding Theophilus and us of the primacy of the gospel. It's not what we believe about Paul that ultimately matters. It's what we believe about Jesus. And so Luke, he opens in Acts 1-1 about Jesus, and he closes in Acts 28-31 about Jesus. He forms this inclusio over the entire book of Acts, saying it's about Jesus. What are you going to do with Jesus? It's the gospel that transforms As great as Paul was, his power came in the gospel. And he makes this fascinating statement. He says that while Paul was chained and under house arrest, he preached the unchained gospel relentlessly. That's my paraphrase, okay? That he preached the unchained gospel relentlessly. You go through Acts, and there's so much danger and drama and tragedy. But Paul ends, I mean, Luke ends on a note of triumph. He says the the, the unchained gospel continued to go forth. Paul preached it relentlessly. And you look back over the book of Acts, and I just want to remind you for a moment of the, the tragic nature of unbelief. It's, it's spelled out here in 28, but you see it all throughout the book. Just the tragedy of unbelief. So many people who reject God. But Acts also invites us to be a part of this unstoppable, transformational church. That we're called to live a dynamic life. Not not hold away just in 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 a building, concerned about ministries and trying to get people here, but that we're called to live a dynamic life that reaches people out there. You go back through the gospel or the book of Acts, how many people do you see getting saved in a church building? I counted zero. They're all saved in the, in the marketplace, in the synagogues, in the places of unbelief. Okay, the synagogue was not the church building. Okay, those Jews did not believe. It's the leaders of the church commissioning the church to be the church, to live the church in the community. That this is the life that we're invited to be a part of. The, the book of Acts, it calls us to love our enemies. Not not to say mean things about them or put them down or to look down upon them, but to love people. To love people enough that we would share Jesus with them, that we would desire to impact them. See, it's a life that's continually focused on God and realize that the only way I'm going to be effective in this life is if I am dependent upon God. The book of Acts, it calls us to this evangelistic, missional lifestyle. And it tells us that we haven't really lived until we've embraced that calling. You know, Acts, it has this open ending. Luke doesn't just wrap it up nicely and put a little bow on it and just satisfy all of our curiosities. I think he does that 
to remind us that the unstoppable church races onward with the unchained gospel, that it's still going, that this gospel cannot be quarantined by a prison, the unstoppable church cannot be shackled and slowed down by chains, it cannot be slowed down by persecution or death or anything like that, that the unstoppable church races onward with the unchained gospel, Even though some will try to stop it or slow it down or quench it or destroy it, the unchained gospel spreads. It continues, it moves, and that God preserves and he protects and he ensures that his gospel will continue to go forth. In Paul's day, it went forth throughout the region of the Mediterranean. And in our day, it goes forth to the bushes of Africa and to the sweatshops of China and to the jungles of the Amazon and to the nice cushy apartments and neighborhoods in America. That the unchained gospel continues to go forth and it's still persecuted and it's still marginalized and it's still attacked. But shackles cannot slow down this gospel. Chains cannot conquer this gospel. Persecution will not prevent the spread of this gospel. Death will not destroy this gospel. The unchained gospel given by our God continues to go forth through the ministry of the unstoppable transformational church. And that's you and me. See, don't miss it. We are now invited into the story of the book of Acts to continue the spread of the greatest news that's ever been given. But to focus on anything else is to miss the life that you were created to live. So let's live it well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your church, this unstoppable church that has survived throughout constant threat constant marginalization throughout the centuries, persecution, the murder of many of our members, but yet your unstoppable church continues to take the unchained gospel forth and it will not be stopped. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you for what the gospel has done in each and every one of our lives, how it has now saved us for a life of purpose here on our mission field and that one day we'll get to go home and experience eternity with you. But God, in the, in the meantime, to be a part of that unstoppable transformational church that we're called to, God, we recognize that we can only do this with your help. That in and of ourselves, we're incapable. That we choose other things. We choose less risky things. We choose easier things. Sometimes we, we'd say that we love these things because we love you, but in fact, we, we just love ourselves. Break us from that. Help us to love you more than anything else. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.